0: Howdy, folks. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Backcountry and Barbells. Uh, today's show brought to you, as always, by our partners. Uh, check out send of vet Check them out. Send-A-Vet.org. Um, check those guys out, guys. It's a big mission, helpful mission, um, doing a lot of good. The Send-A-Vet Foundation's mission is focused on sending our, our our nation's combat injured warriors on various outdoor adventures throughout the United States and around the world. Guys, even this past weekend, I was hanging out with a bunch of them, um, hammering away at my uh, Ragnar's uh, trail series, a uh, bunch of military doing those races. Um, in fact, there were six awesome vets on our team. Um, and got to hang out with a bunch of them, even some former Rangers telling some war stories. Um, you know a lot of those guys struggling with a lot of different things, and sometimes getting outdoors, having a little adventure, can cure some of that up. And the Send a Foundation is trying to do that. So help them out by checking out their webpage again: send-a-vet.org. Um, if you got some spare change, you got some spare time, or you have somebody who needs their assistance. Um, reach on out. And if you can't find them, reach out through us and we'll get you connected. Also guys, PR lifting quality fitness gear in the Pacific Northwest. PR lifting takes pride in personal passion for gear, excellent customer service. And most importantly, being the place in the Pacific Northwest neighborhood to get you hooked up with what you need to achieve your next personal record. Um, I swing their bells. I've lifted their barbells, used their stuff, been into their shop, um, It's a great, great equipment if you're looking to build a home gym, if you have a commercial space, and if you are in the Pacific Northwest, they are the best place, um, in my opinion,
1: and I'm not alone in
0: that regard, um, to get you some gear. Also, guys, we're bringing this episode to you, the Backcountry and Barbells guys, myself and Jeremy Day. Check out our website, backcountryandbarbells.com. You can learn more about the two partners mentioned there, but you can also... Find out more about what we're doing. Um, We have some programming options like our base camp program. If you're still looking to do that elk camp scramble, um, there's some programming options there um, that can get you sorted out, Um, along with learning more about what Jeremy and I are doing. Um, You can also get linked up to our social media pages and everything else. So today's episode, gang, um, we're talking about meat care. Um, notching your tag getting a critter on the ground is only half the battle if you'd want to make it a successful harvest um, the other half is skinning it out quartering it out getting it out of the woods and then caring for that meat a away so you can enjoy it to its fullest with that in mind your main day and I have a conversation around that and along the way also telling a couple stories about my run and some other things if you enjoy the show guys please review it let us know tell your buddies and until the next one train hunt and live the best life possible thank you very much howdy folks thanks for tuning in to this episode of backcountry and barbells if you're enjoying it please let us know by uh uh shooting us a review uh visiting the website and all that good stuff but um Jeremy man it's a it's a fine Sunday morning how's things going
1: it's going really well man it's a nice kind it's kind of warm out this morning yeah, it's been. Kind of bizarre. It's been a cool, it's been a cool couple days climate-wise
0: here. Um, good to work. I mean, it's actually been a, you tell me, this is only my third summer here, but it's been an unbelievable one.
1: Yeah, this year has been really mild. Yeah, it's been mild. Compared to, to um, recent ones. Yeah, no. As far um, as temperatures, usually we're in the ninety. we can get into the 90s and sometimes pushing 100, but I don't think I've seen a 90s all year. I don't think so. Except for in
0: May, I think. (laughs) Yeah, and then um, even fire season doesn't seem – I mean, I remember – I can remember last year, or definitely last two years, um, those wildfires being a lot more prevalent uh, to the north and south of us, and they don't seem to be happening. I know we're coming into the really dry part of the year, so hopefully that continues, and I'm not um, butchering that up. But even in that aspect, we seem to be doing okay.
1: I know we're doing really good, and and the temperature forecast for the future for our hunting spot is supposed to be super mild as well in the seventies, which is great.
0: And I hope the rain stays away. Last, I mean, my first camp has been rain, and you guys said the camp before it was rain. Um, so um, it'd be nice. It'd be nice for it not to be rainy.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, the rain brings in silence, right? It helps the ground be quieter, and it has. See, I don't mind if it rains at night, just not during the day. Is that a fair weather, Hunter?
0: Yeah, that's fine. Sure. But that's what we want. Can't we have it all? Can't we want it all? <laughs> that's right. Right? Big animals, uh, great weather, nice spots, no other people. Yeah, we want everything. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, we want everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, But it was cool. I mean, I'm fired up. So um, the, the we, we scouted our spot. We're going to go scout it again, kind of, when we set up um, camp, and then we'll get out there um, uh Really close. Uh, just following the gram and um, looking at things on the internet and reading articles. It seems like everybody is getting charged up for elk. I mean, some seasons have some seasons have seemed to kick off already, um, but uh, it's a real cool time of year, man.
1: It is. It's it's a lot of fun, and yeah, you can see it on all the social media how everybody's just super pumped. It should, and it I be, am as well, man. It should be a good year.
0: I mean, um, even. Even at the race I was at this weekend at at Crystal, kind of, I want to believe Enum Claw is probably the closest town to where our race was, but it's out at Crystal Mountain, which is a really neat spot where you can ride some gondolas and get some amazing views of, of, I mean, unbelievable views of Rainier and all that stuff around there. But, um, you know, we even—I brought my elk calls and was kind of tinkering with folks. And I'm reading Bugle magazine as I'm in between in between loops of my run. And then uh, I got a text from a buddy. He goes, "Mobilize, Joe! There's a there's a herd of elk under the gondola." And uh, even <laughs> even with like three thousand people um, uh, falling into um, Crystal Mountain Resort, I mean, there were still some critters. I mean, I I know one of the definitely um one of the runs was a bit of a backcountry run coming down the gondola at crystal mountain and uh i know i ran through a nice wallow and stopped for a moment and saw i inspected the wallow for a moment and found some nice bull scat around there didn't see any rubs but the scat looked pretty pretty fresh and the wallow looked perfect um but again 3000 people I was a fr- I was um surprised we saw any elk but uh there were there was a small herd still lingering under the gondola and I think they went hidden to the hidden to the pines for a bit but they seem abundant right now man even out here in Washington
1: I know man it was kind of wild when we went and scouted we saw quite a few head of elk and 20 of them were calves which I've never ever seen that many calves during um you know on a on a weekend scouting trip
0: yeah, and for me, I, I was surprised that even when we went scouting, or even on my run, the the lack of predator sign, which was nice. I mean, I mean, I remember when we went turkey hunting; it was just bear, 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 bear. You know, and, <laughs> yeah, coyote, coyote, everywhere. You know what I mean? Even some, even some cat. And uh, man, it, even but that's been that's been small. I mean, am, am I wrong on that? I mean, I don't see as much predator sign as I've seen in the past when we've gone out.
1: Yeah, no, I didn't see that much. And the one thing I didn't see were um, the wolf tracks. A mm. couple, two, three years ago, I saw the wolf tracks. So maybe, hopefully, they moved out. Okay. Keep moving, boys. Leave, yeah, exactly. Leave the elk for us, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. But I'll, I'll sit here and let you know that as I record this with you, Jeremy, I'm standing on uh, very tired legs. Um, <laughs> so,
1: so, Are they pretty sore, huh?
0: Yeah, it's, it's a good sore, though. It's the... It's, it's, uh, the sore from effort and, um, uh, yeah, that the, the trail run that I've been training all summer for, uh, was last night and the, the team did pretty good. Um, the event was excellent. I would say anyone who's interested in putting something like that's competitive on the calendar, especially if you're in this area, um, these Ragnar trail runs are really cool. They'll have two actually, um, next year, I think at this time, uh, they'll have one in Bend, Oregon, and then the one that I just did, uh, but but they're excellent. They're um, it's it's the coolest running format. You pretty much camp and run, camp and run, and then you 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 hang out with your buddies. It's and and get, get some work in. It's a good time.
1: And is it a is it a team event? I mean, and timed and all that other stuff. Yeah. So the way
0: it ends up working, um, there's different formats. So if you're a real maniac, you can do what's called a black loop format, where you and a partner just get tortured and do all kinds of big runs and it's kind of kind of um kind of like an ultra format where you're it's accumulating a ton i think i think well over marathon mileage and then um the format that we did was a eight man team or excuse me eight person team um it was a eight person team <laughs> um and we did have three we had three <clears throat> Three killer broads on the squad um, who, nice. got, who got after it, uh, my wife being one of them, my wife, um, her friend, and then um, this <laughs> this maniac, Kasha. Kasha is Polish-born. Um, in fact, uh, if you follow my Instagram page, I was actually training with her um, Her father who just competed in the Weightlifting World Championships uh, uh Two or three weeks ago, at seventy-two years old, this guy plays silver medal um, at the wow. Masters World Championships in his age division. Pretty cool, Polish-born feller. But Kasia is a straight beast, um, and then um, five other folks. Um, so we had a we had a cool military mixed team. In fact, everybody on that team was military except me and another spouse. Um, so our team did good. We we took second in the military division, and then we took eighteenth um, overall. And I when I text you earlier, I. 350 teams had signed up but it looked like it actually got whittled down to between whatever so we were just shy of three we were just shy of 300 teams so our team did really good we uh we did um we completed all of our loops in uh i think 25 something hours um and our team did cool we took three hours off our time from last year and um the oh yeah the five returning members took it serious and uh we um we shaved we shaved a bunch of time off our loops
1: and so on the format i mean you're running on backcountry type terrain it's just like the trail systems oh, yeah, up yep. and down elevation and yeah
0: so the way they the way they end up doing it is um there's three loops one loop is um 3 mile loop one loop's a 5 mile loop and one loop's an 8 mile loop and yeah you just you run on yeah the, the green yellow red loops and yeah it's they're uh it's trail running so it's not like it's none of it's on a road um if anyone's been at crystal mountain it's uh one of the one of the trails is the silver lake trail and then the back end trails like the northern ridge trail it's actually the, the the red loop coming down the 8 mile loop is a, it's a 6 mile downhill loop that was actually started by mountain bikers and then they turned it into this trail and it's 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 a it's pretty cool. That's a real backcountry trail. But yeah, so what ends up happening is each member on your team, if you can imagine, runner one does the green loop, runner two does the yellow loop, runner three does the red loop, and so on and so forth until everybody does every loop. So oh, okay. So and it's and it it doesn't stop. So you have you everybody ends up getting a night run. Everyone, you know what I mean? So, for example, I did the green loop. Um, I was the fifth leg. So, uh, my green loop went off at like 10 o'clock at night and, uh, lucky for me though, because some folks had to do this crazy backcountry loop at like, you know, one in the morning, you know what I mean?
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's brutal.
0: Yeah, it was. You know, in fact, one of our guys who did well, he, he took 20 minutes off of his red loop time because last year he had done the red loop at, you know, it was wet at at three in the morning you know what i mean and then this year it was his first one so there was there were some interesting things going on but um it's a super cool format and they have other versions of this where people drive and they do a road course and you're in a van and you're following your vans but this one's super cool because it's just like it's just like hunting camp man you set up a base camp everybody's hanging out and then, you know, you're, you're meandering in and out for work. You know what I mean? And um, it's just a great time. It, it's something I, I'd, I'd recommend people
1: getting into. And so you camp out just the one night, or did you guys stay another night? Well, yeah. I guess if you stayed another night, we wouldn't be doing this. <laughs> well, we yeah, so you have the option to stay
0: this weekend if you want. We we came home. Oh, okay. But um some, some of our folks came. Some of our folks stayed out there. So you can get out there Thursday night to set up, um, and then the race <clears> starts Friday morning. Um, and then when you finish, you finish. If you want to stay, you can actually stay out Saturday night as well. Um, but it's a it's a cool weekend, man. It's a it's a good time. It's a great atmosphere. Um, they do a lot of cool things to uh, get it going. And I'll tell you what's fun: the mult the the metal they give you. It's like a mult. This year's multi tool was pretty cool. Um, it's you know it's like the spork, right? Uh, yeah. But it's got all kinds of stuff on it. You know, little. Uh, I'll have to take a picture of it. And I'll, I'll put it on the gram. I'm sure there'll be a lot of folks doing it, but it's just a cool little, rather than just getting a medal, you know, that you're going to put up with the other tchotchkes, which are fun. Um, this year's one, you can actually, I'll, I'll have it in camp. I'll be, uh, I'll be slurping, uh, I'll be slurping, um, your, uh, your breakfast punch with this spork. You're all going to be jealous of it.
1: (laughs) Well, you should have won me one, man. Come on.
0: (laughs) I'll see if I, uh, I'll see if I can't bring the wife's out, um, and um, we can work through that, but um, there you go. Yeah, you know, we'll. Uh, but it was a good time, man. Um, how about you, I man? So, do you have any besides just putting El Camp on the calendar? I mean, to be honest, when my wife got me into this trail run, this is my second one, and I, I'm going to do these every year. It's just a cool event. Um, and they do them all over the country. I'd really like to do one six months opposite of this to keep me going because I've I found a lot of great benefits from the 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 focus on, uh, some cardiovascular work that came with it. Um, but, um, you know, for me when something's really important, you know, my training's best when there's something on the calendar that's yeah. like an event. Um, but in particular, I, I did this event because I saw the proximity of it towards elk camp and I was like, you know what, man, that, that's a really, it's a, the terrain's really similar cuz crystal mountain i mean the the silver lake trail loop you get 3000 feet of elevation gain in that 5 miles i mean you're pretty much slugging uphill for that 5 miles it's a pretty brutal it's a it's a pretty <laughs> brutal run i mean and some folks one guy on our team did it in close to under an hour and there were some folks there was one psycho <laughs> at the event who did that stupid trail in about 40 minutes I mean so there were some maniacs there Um, I ended up doing it in 82 minutes Um, it was a brutal it was a brutal um, run Uh, but on your end uh, have you ever uh, did anything like this where you put something on the calendar I mean how do you how do you get mentally prepared for for something like L Camp because it is a as much as people say you don't have to train for I mean it's a it's a it's physically challenging man
1: it is physically challenging, and and no, I don't, Joe. I've never done a race. I've never done any kind of special event where I train for, it except for elk hunting, and it starts usually <clears throat> three weeks after the last, you know, at, well, usually January first is when I start to train for September. So, and it's always a slow progression, right? I I take off the um, all the impact on my body, and I just kind of. I don't use weights. I don't use anything for about five months. It's just all kind of car- cardiovascular and um, mobility type stuff. Just because, as I as I get older, you know, I can tell that my body's wearing down. So I try to minimize the impact. So the last four or five months, um, I'll start I'll start to introduce the um, impact kind of stuff. So you get into some resistance training or, or lifting weights. Um. Exactly as as you get a little bit closer but so you're saying and i won't run i don't i don't the only time i run is about is the two months before hunting season is the only time i run so you so a lot of times i'm i'm walking majority of the time and then the spin bike so those two things are what i do the most on say the off season of training for elk camp and then as it gets closer you'll ramp things up so when you do
0: the resistance training is most of that just to that that's mainly to get used to the pack or, and get ready for the pack out and, and the terrain.
1: Yeah, exactly. And also just to keep the muscle, you know, active and, um, keep them kind of somewhat strong. Right. Cause if you don't do anything, then I go to work in the yard and lift up the stupid rake and I have to use it for 30 minutes and then I'm sore for a week. So I just try to keep everything where all those muscle groups are always, um, ready for some type of action. Very cool. Well, you know, yeah, you gotta, you gotta be at the ready,
0: you know what I mean? And, um, you that, that increases more when you're, when you're trying to, you know, run up mountains and chase, and chase elk and, and, and drag them out of the woods. I mean, it's no easy task. Um, but w- with that task, I mean, the reason we want to do it is, um, the, the benefit is, is, is the meat. The benefit is, is the memories and the critter. And, um, you know, I've always just found that the the more you can the more physically prepared you can be, the more resilience you can build and the um the more capacities that you can go into the woods with. I just think you yeah you set yourself up to have a better time and, and to not to not hurt yourself. I mean you know, again, going back to the, the Ragnar race that we just did, I think there were a few injuries where people just bonk out on the mountain and you know, they end up slipping on this and it's dark and you you break your ankle. You know, and, and, you know, you can look at the root cause and say, oh, you know, a root jumped out, I didn't see it, and I tripped and fell, but you know, there's a lot of reasons alertness falls down, and I think fatigue is part of that, you know what I mean? I mean, that that my hardest day in the woods at L Camp last year, I fell the most, um, but I think it was also because I was fatigued the most, and all, all of a sudden, sensory sensory production and, and your ability to see what's around you goes down, you you get careless and bad things happen. So, um
1: you know, I, yeah and you're trying to chase somebody or you're, you're with someone that's just go, go, go. And yeah. you're trying to keep up with them. And it's just like, yeah, you get more fatigued and then stressed. Right. Yep.
0: So exactly. in my mind, it's like, you know, I'm always caught in this conversation because I don't think you have to be Cameron Haynes. I don't think you have to, be training for Mr. Universe or, you know, doing CrossFit. But I really think everybody all year should have something almost every day that is some sort of, like, uh, movement practice and some sort of – you have to have a movement practice that guides you. And that's not to say you have to do a killer workout to do it. But just like you said, it could be a mobility practice. It could be a weight practice. And I think what I've fallen into this summer – where I've had this kind of hodgepodge mix where I was pretty much getting um, this summer was excellent for me um, as the week rolled I would get at least two jujitsu sessions, two weight sessions and two cardio sessions every week and some days I would double dip and some days I'd get more in than that and some days would be longer but I really felt like that was a really good mix and I'm, I'm, I'm super excited um, for elk camp this year and um, uh, I'm ready to chase those 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 big critters down, man. I'm ready to I'm ready to get them. I can't well, see. we're gonna
1: have to do it. <laughs> well, because it's a it's big country, and um, you know there's lots of road systems where we hunt. So, you know, you got to get away from those guys, and to do that, you have to hunt the steep, nasty, ugly stuff. But there's um, there's fruit in those up there hills. <laughs> fruit in up the, there hills. Yeah, I was looking.
0: I was watching a Randy Newberg e scouting series, and uh, there's some cool. It actually walks you through a deep dive into the e-scouting thing, um, the e-scouting um, aspect of not just using Onyx when you're in the field, but you can use it in prep for it to really help find different areas. But one thing he said is there, he cited some real research that showed that these elk do get away from busy road systems. They don't seem to like vehicles. They don't want to be around that. They They really seem to be animals that prefer solitude
1: in the woods yeah absolutely i mean the road systems stress them out right because people get out of their cars and they bump them or push them or the scent hits them and um and they don't want to be in that stress because they already have enough stress because they have to survive from the other elements of all their other predators besides the guys with the stick and arrows
0: yeah so um but like like you said we're gonna be chasing them for the fruit in it and um you know it's an aspect of it that it's an aspect of it that I've always been super attracted to in terms of getting the meat, and it's probably why I'm, I'm even having this conversation with you today. I mean, through getting into CrossFit, I got into the Paleo diet, and you find out that you know you you do nutritional work uh, long enough, and you find out that you know the best food is real food. You know, yes. and, and the closer that that food can be to its natural source. Um, whether that's non GMO or organic, you're growing in your backyard or it's wild game. I mean, the, the less, I guess this is a weird thing to say, you know, agriculture is great, but the, the less that, the less that things are processed and that includes how they're grown, I think the more nutritious and and the better they are for you. And, um, in terms of meat, I, wild game is as good as it gets. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Because, I mean, all of our food that's processed now has so many chemicals in there to keep it, you know, so that the crops are harvested at their full potential. So, what do they have to do? They have to, you know, keep the bugs off it. They have to keep all these other invasive things away from it the weeds, all that. So,
0: yeah, and they, they um, do weird things. I mean,.
1: Well, and here's the thing: even if they don't do weird things, you don't
0: know. So, I, I would say a huge benefit to, to wild game is the fact that it's hunted, not farmed. Like you, like yeah. for example, um, we had a little family get together uh, last week, and um, um, we had some cousins move. They, my, I had some cousins in Seattle who are international teachers, and then um, the school he used to work at they brought him back into town. Well. We had a little family uh, meal with them, so I made I made some wild game appetizers. So what I ended up doing, I did some traditional um, wild games. Everybody likes to make those jalapeno poppers with their uh, wild game. So I yeah. I roasted one of those deer shoulders that you gave me, um, uh-huh. and uh, I shredded I shredded and kind of um, barbecued the shoulder, the little roast, and. Um, made little jalapeno poppers with the wild game and actually here's here's how i set it off so uh, i have the i have the jalapeno popper really thin schmear some people overdo the the cream cheese so little thin schmear of cream cheese then the shredded um shredded venison and then to top it off i put some Marionberry jam on top just a little bit Ooh, yeah um, people went crazy for them and then the other one i did i did a really nice stuffed mushroom um with with the other bit but uh you know it was cool telling people where it came from i mean yeah my buddy shot it um he, him and i and his son cut it up and then i processed and cooked it that's it there was no there was no other story to be told and now it's here. Yeah. you know what i mean like you yeah. know when you buy the grocery store meat you know nothing nothing wrong with it again again not everybody can get in the woods and everyone can afford organic not every you eat what you can but you know when you pick up that package of ground beef or you pick up the package of you get that new york strip at the deli counter it's like okay how did it get here you know, where was it flown from? Who did it? Who cut it up? You know, you see horror stories of, you know, uh, you know, the steer enters the the processing plant and then who knows how many tens of hundreds to potentially thousands of hands or miles that that food has covered or what's happened in between. So with, with wild game, I mean, the biggest benefit is you know exactly. You've seen it alive. You put it down. There's no, there's no story to be told. You know what I mean? It's a really simple one.
1: Yeah, and you're tromping around in his grazing grounds. Yeah, and you can all tell what it eats, right? <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. So um, <laughs> I think I think that's a big
0: one when you talk about it. But w- with that big benefit there, you want to take care of it, right? I mean, so. Absolutely. It, and, and time of season matters. I mean, w- hopefully things stay mild for us. Um, So we're not in a rush for, for meat spoilage, but, uh, let's say, let's say things warm up for us or, you know, there are folks listening to this who might be in some, some desert or high desert situations or warmer climates when they get that first animal down and, um, it'll be downright hot, you know, um, so preservation tactics, you know, animals down, um, what's the first step? in your mind, Jeremy, to making sure that you can get as much of that wild game home as possible?
1: Well, you want to get that, um, you want to get it as cool and dry as possible, as quick as possible. So you want to get it off of, um, you want to get it skinned, get it hung in the air and start letting the um, air circulate around it and cool it down. <clears throat> um, and some you know, temperatures vary from wherever you're hunting. If you're hunting in the high country, you know, those higher elevations, 4,000 and up at night, it gets really cold. So, you know, that's a good thing because you can pull it out, let it sit outside at nighttime, pull it out of, you know, whatever you've got it covered up with and um, some put it by a creek or what have you. So, to kind of back up a little bit, I jumped ahead. There is first, you want to get the guts out of it, or get the meat off of the bone, and then you want to get it to camp. And then once you get it to camp, you want to get it in the air and let the air circulate around it.
0: Yeah, and there's some there's some cool ways. I've seen some I've seen some neat techniques posted on how you can get it off the bone, but like keep it on the bone to to hang it properly. Um, and and even even game bags can be helpful. I mean. If you're if you're if you're in a snowy cold spot you you have a little bit of um you have a little bit of leeway cuz it's just colder but if if things aren't dropping down I think um I think that's when you might want to even pay attention to maybe figuring out looking at some real technique. I think Remy Warren posted a really cool um story or video where he's got a great podcast that's out and he talks a little bit about this. He's got a cool cool deboning technique where you can still use the tendons to hang it um, if you're in an interesting situation there. But the other thing too is to consider your game bags that you're using. You know, just like just like I like to wear wool because it's got a nice wicking material, or or our our synthetic fibers dry quicker. Um, your game bags can be the same way. So if if you're if you're if you're thinking in game bags and don't have it yet, I, I would consider you know, maybe paying up a little bit for a nice synthetic one, because yeah, it might be a lot more expensive, but that better game bag is going to wick moisture away from that, um, from your meat that's so precious.
1: Well, absolutely. And you should always put your meat in game bags anyway, just because the flies will get in there and hatch and then you could get the meat will spoil. And I mean, you can read stories online about how people, you know, thought that they could leave it up overnight and, um, the flies got on it or whatever. And then, Three days, four days later, they get to the butcher and um, the meat's spoiled because the flies have um, hatched their eggs in there and the maggots have already gone to work. No good. Yeah, so you you really want to get it in the game bag as fast as you can and, and, and really get it hung up in the air. And then if you have the advantage of um, being by a creek, um, you want to get it, maybe hang it up down by the creek during the day and then um, pull it away during the night because... The temperatures are usually are stable around a creek system. I mean, everybody's hunted and it's been 90 degrees, and then you go down by the water and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so refreshing! It's a lot yeah. cooler down here because that water will do its own microthermos, thermo, right? So, um, but yeah, those are those are some of the best better tips. And if and if you're not by water and it's you know it's hot and it's getting hot at night still. You really want to consider just packing it out and getting it um, to a cooler um, as fast as you can. Uh, our area, you know, it's pretty mild temperatures. You, it'll swing sometimes in, during the day; it'll be eighty-five, and but at night it'll be fifty, forty-five or fifty degrees. So, we'll get the meat off of the bone. We'll hang it up for maybe a day or so or two, and then we'll shoot it down to a meat locker which is an hour and a half, two hours away.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly what we did. I mean, I remember last year we packed that guy out late. We, well, we packed that cow, that that gal out late. And um, we, we found a nice creek, and we just kind of, okay, this is a good spot. It's nice and cool here now. And then we went and got it, um, and, th- and then we had her in camp. But, yeah, just, it's just being prepared there. So maybe even, like, it might be smart too then, I guess, as you're e-scouting and looking for your spot and considering some of that. I mean – you know, if if you do know it's going to be warmer climates, you know, obviously you're going to be looking for water because, you know, the animals need them. But I guess another benefit of finding a cool water source or keeping a water source by camp is is so, you know, maybe if you want to limit time shuttling your meat to the locker, if you found the right spot and you're willing to do some work and move it around a bit going from creek in the day to back at camp at night, you can probably
1: keep it keep it pretty cool and and be out there for a few more days. Absolutely. And in those mild temperature areas, it's just good to keep it down there all day long because that temperature is going to be the same um, down there. And it's amazing. I mean, the meat can last quite a while in 40, 50 degree weather. And, And you know, at night it cools down. Then maybe, maybe you're not in an area where the temperatures, I mean, it's, it's constantly warm. So, You hang it up at night, and then during the day, you throw it down underneath the tarps and throw a bunch of um, extra blankets or whatever you have over that, and then keep it cool next to the ground. And then when nighttime comes again, then you pull it up and get it up in the air and always always keep it in the shade during the day in an area that's nice and shady. There it is. So the sun doesn't beat down on it and and cook it, really, right? No.
0: Yeah, I mean... But no, love it so cool. And then again, to the benefits of this, the benefits of what you're doing, it's just you, you want to keep it. You want to keep it as, in, as as intact as possible. Um, so because it's it's a it's a it's a precious resource. Again, it's um, limited hor- limited hormones. We know that there's not a lot of antibiotics in it. But the other thing I love about this wild game meat is um the the flavor in it. Right? I mean, yeah. Uh, it, I mean, people can say it's gamey, people can say it's tougher, um, you can say lots of things about it, but part of the reason those qualities are there is this animal was actually doing stuff, I mean, if you look at elk, they are on the move a lot, they're exercising better, they're leaner, and, and with that movement and and that lifestyle and them actually eating different different things rather than all eating... Um, selected feed just so they can have a particular flavor profile. I mean, these are wild animals. They get, they're, they're different um, and, and it tastes good. And then you want to, you want to capture that um, as much as possible. Um,
1: right. I mean, you, you smelt it when we came down off of the, there's the like hill. There's sweetness and, to it. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. It's, it's like, oh my gosh, that smells so wonderful. And it does. I mean, it's, it's,
0: Pretty interesting. Like and it
1: tastes just the same too. Cool. I mean, it's a, to me.
0: No, no. I mean, I would give it a try. I mean, and, and you can get one. I mean, and even how you kill it. I mean, it, it will impact it. I mean, um, I, stress is a stress is an interesting thing. And I think even with an animal, that's why you want to be proficient in how you're going to get the animal down and and efficient because the quicker that kill happens, and even if you kill that animal when it's not stressed at all. I mean, in a perfect scenario, the animal has no idea you're there. It's grazing and you end its life on the spot. And, and, and in that respect, it stays, um, it's, it's stress never touches it. And it doesn't go through that tense that that tense situation as opposed to if you have to you know track it it knows it's there um, maybe you, you trap an animal right i've heard stories of guys who um hog you know you get an animal in a hog trap or snare trap of some sort and then no wonder the meat's terrible it's because that animals last few hours were so stressed and tense the whole time so um you know you can also do things as a hunter to keep that quality of that meat up and and some of that has to do with um your your hunting efficiency um so, so again let's say let's say it's um let's go back to getting the animal down jeremy um okay we've we've gotten it down we've gotten it stored um with elk we have to quarter it out right i mean and and to uh-huh. get it down into its little parts uh the better uh, in, in terms of just butcher and technique um for folks who may have never done this before um just the the initial cuts skinning it um, the different methods of, of breaking it down are you partial to to a particular system or setup for um, going from skin critter to quartered and hanging?
1: Yeah, so just being a, the old school method of how you know get the guts out of ASAP so you we would always go down and cut from the belly up and then work our way and um, work on one side of the elk and flop it, the hide over and then um, you know work off of that hide and put the meat on there and everything else so typically what we would do is you know you kind of go down where um, the lower abdomen area and then you slice until you get into close to the paunch, and then you just kind of run your two fingers up and then go all the way from there all the way up to the top and then then you run up the hind leg on the inside and then skin away there. And then I always work on the hind quarters first and make my way to the front of the animal. So we'll do one side of the hot quarter. Then we work on, you know, the back strap and then the front shoulder and then we get all the rib meat off and then the neck meat and then we'll flip it over and then start the skinning process again. And then, um, and then again, you just go the quarter, the back strap, the front shoulder and then all the meat and then the rib meat and all that stuff. And then the, um, the neck meat. Very cool. And even, but even the
0: skinning it, I mean, for folks who haven't done it before, it's interesting. Cause I remember, you know, I remember, I remember when I f- first started, you know, we cut your cow down we just went right into it. Um, but, but even cutting with or against the grain can matter when you're making those initial cuts or incisions. Cause, cause, um, The fur, the hair will get into the meat and then even just holding the meat or holding the hide back as you're kind of getting it off, you know, getting that hide um, and you're skinning it. I mean, there's there's different ways to do it. So do do you cut with the fur or away from the fur when you make that initial incision?
1: You know, um, that's why I always go from the bottom on the undercarriage because the undercarriage has less hair. Yeah. So once you get up through until you get up to the chest cavity area, then it starts to get the main part starts to, um, get pretty thick in hair. But I have seen a lot of guys go straight up the back, you know, a lot of the guys you watch the videos, they'll go straight up the back and then, um, split it from there the main thing is 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 the angle of the knife when you're trying to cut and when you're when you're doing that initial line cut let's call you want it to be down and not like uh, what you want it to be in like a 45 degree angle or or more right so that you're not pulling those hairs and as you go up you want to pull back away from your incision or your cut with the hide so that the hide doesn't Those little hair fragments don't get inside the hide. So as you're skinning, you're constantly kind of rolling so that you don't really see the hide. You see the inside of the – or the hair part of the hide, you see the inside part of the hide. I I don't know any of the technical terms, so I apologize. Well, no,
0: it matters because it's a lot easier to get no hair or fur on the meat than it is to try and pluck it off after the fact.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can
0: make one bad incision or bad cut, and all of a sudden – you've gone the wrong way and and there's all kinds of fur, um, on your quarter and that's no fun to, 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 to pluck off. But, and even holding, even using the hide to pull it away is different. I remember, I remember you kept saying, uh, grab it behind the, grab it behind the hide and pull back. And I didn't get what you were saying until I actually did it right. Um, but you can actually, if you, if you grab the fur right and just kind of, curl it back. It's actually pretty simple. So so is there any consideration? I, I think some of the times those guys will cut it back. Um, if you're preserving the cape, or if you're preserving the hide, or if you have this idea that um, maybe you've gotten a smaller animal down, or maybe you've gotten a world record elk down and you want to preserve as much of it as possible for the taxidermist, have um, are are there things you can really do to screw it up, screw up the hide? For for example, like you were talking about meat angle, I, I would imagine as you're skinning that if the hide's something that's important to you, as you are skinning it, you'd probably want to slice and pull away towards the and cut toward and have your blade go towards the meat than you would towards the hide. I mean, is, is are there any other considerations Considerations like that, if you do want to preserve the hide or, or, you know, the head or the cape for for a mount.
1: So it, I'm going to take that in a kind of a two part answer. So when when you're skinning an animal and you're pulling it away, you're you're pulling the hide away from the meat, and then you'll see these little I, I don't know, kind of webbing or of lack of better terms. So you're 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 slicing that. So the harder you pull out, the more likely you are going to get those webbings out there and then you can slice you don't have to have you don't want to pull back just a little bit and um and slice in between the meat and the hide you want to pull back as far as you can and get big slices and even sometimes i, I think you saw what i did i'd pull back and then i'd make a little incision in the hide so i could get my finger in there so i could get a little better leverage to pull back yep and, and slice down so that's how when you're skinning an animal that's kind of the, the The premise of it you want to just pull it back as far as you can because sometimes in in some parts of the animal you can literally just pull it and not even have to make those little big giant you know slices slices in between the meat yeah but when you're trying to if, if you want to have you have your trophy and you want to mount it there are things you want to do a lot of guys that's why they'll go up the back side of the animal is so that um they can split it apart and then you won't see when the taxidermist does his job on stitching you won't see those stitches cuz i guess there's a natural seam in the critter at that spot you're trying to work with yeah there's a natural seam but plus the animal is up in the air on your wall and you're not going to see the backside of the animal uh, so if you in, if you do an incision on the on the lower belly chest area like i had told you that that's the traditional way I do it. Yeah. You'll usually want to stop right where that chest cavity is, and, and then you go hard right and hard left, and you go around, and then you go up the legs, and then you skin and pull back.
0: I gotcha, because they're trying to preserve it for the mountain. I guess depending on how big the mount is or what you want to throw on your wall or what you want to see, you just, for, for, for viewing sakes, it doesn't look like a stuffed animal or something. You want it to look as natural as possible. You're trying to keep keep where the taxidermy has to do cleanup work where someone's not going to be seen anyway yeah exactly that makes sense i was i was wondering i was like okay that that makes that makes it good that makes that makes good sense um
1: but i would go up the back i mean if you have a trophy just you know go go up the back and do it that route and then you just slowly skin around and then down so that way um you preserve everything because you can go a little too far up on the chest cavity too very cool
0: very cool. No, that makes that makes a good amount of sense. Um, and and two, I mean, it's funny when you get into this and you talk about pulling here, cutting there. It's funny how natural it seems to to work. I mean, it, the the craziest part about you know butchering butchering your cow last year or working with your blacktail um, was just like it was super humbling to me that something so tough and something so cool and something that was so alive a moment ago it kind of just turns into this meat bag um and but but in a weird way that made me think of myself differently if that makes sense like (laughs) yeah
1: i know it's like oh man you're you're invested now and this is the whole part of the processing
0: yeah but but even going through that processing i was like well i would not be that hard to process do you know what i mean like once you get into it like there's a there's a really weird um there's a really weird uh, humbling that goes along with doing that yourself, and and seeing where that 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 meat goes and and comes from, and and whatnot. But um,
1: well, very cool. Uh, it, can, I, I think we should talk about quartering. How to quarter too?
0: Oh yeah, no. Go that that was going to be the next spot. So oh, you know, okay. you get the hide off, um, and now all of a sudden you're you're, you know, if you've seen Rocky, you know, he's in there pounding his fists on you know a, a half a cow. I mean, you have that. You know, maybe you have the you have a full animal down, um, you're not gonna get that out of the woods, um you know, in one one animal. I mean, I guess with some some whitetail or mule deer, I mean, you can do that and just get the whole thing back to camp. But with elk you're you're definitely probably gonna be quartering Unless you're like, what was that story Dirk told us? So his dad brought a trailer in and they got it on the trailer. His first one, <laughs>
1: yeah. They were able to pull it up into the truck or something, and <laughs> pretty unbelievable, by the way. Yeah, um, I think that's only happened um, <laughs> two, maybe three times in my whole hunting career. You've seen a whole, a whole, a whole elk come. That out? we've today? able to get a whole elk out, but I mean, it took a lot of work. One year we um, how'd you do? The it? country was so steep that we, um, we parked the truck up and backed it down we nosed the truck up into the, it was on a road. So we nosed the truck up a little bit on the opposing side. And then there happened to be another skid road up top. So my brother-in-law drove his rig up to the top of that. And then we did a come along from his rig all the way down to the elk, which was about 40 yards, 50 yards in the clear cut. And then we just pulled that sucker all the way up into the other truck that was down below. <laughs> that's awesome. And yeah. that's
0: you, I've seen some folks do like a meat pole thing where if you if you have enough guys and you can find you know a, a small tree or something you can kind of tie it yeah. up and you can gut it and do that. Um, and carry. They have it.
1: chainsaw apparatus apparatuses that will you know that are like on a come along and then you can pull them. Guys will do that through the woods. Yeah, did you were telling me?
0: to so, yeah, so I mean, again, um, people can be innovative. I mean, yeah, I hate to offend some people, but that kind of um. That kind of redneck engineering approach to things—you can get some cool stuff done. But you were saying a, a buddy of yours had a cool thing where he ended up using like a chainsaw motor to, um, like a chainsaw motor pulley system or something.
1: Yeah, well, that's my brother-in-law. He invented a little chainsaw pulley system for um, fire hoses.
0: Oh, that's it. That's it. I was yeah, It's like, was like, you can end up using something. But again, if it can, if it can pull them if it can pull and bundle up a fire hose real quick i mean it could you know i guess you just need bigger motor different setup to like you yeah. said to pull a pull an animal out of the woods but um
1: that, that, and on the coastal range you'll a lot of times you'll see guys with these big spools in the back of their rig that are on a um they're on a motor and yeah. they'll have a thousand feet of um not cable but real heavy dense uh, rope and they'll Throw it right down the mountain, hook onto the elk, and pull it, drag it all the way up through the truck. Huh. And all you have to do is have one guy down by the elk, maybe four or five feet away, and then he's got a hold of the rope. And always wear gloves, folks. Oh, He'll yeah. be holding the uh, the rope with his leather gloves and just navigating it around all the trees. Wow. So it's not so different than pulling timber up. Yeah, Exactly. That's and that's why you see it. a lot of the times it's the logger guys.
0: Yeah, they're like, hey, if I can pull a,
1: a hundred <laughs>
0: foot tree up, you know, up this basin, um, I can sure as hell get an elk quarter up. So
1: yeah, so I've seen a lot of different ways of people doing it. Me, I just like quartering it out because shit, that other way is just as much work as it is to quarter it out. And when you get it to the truck, you have to skin it and do all that stuff anyway. So. I mean, it's not as easy because you're not hanging it up in the air. I mean, definitely when you got it up in the air, it's a lot easier to skin an animal, but sure. um, it's still all a lot of a lot, a lot of work. So we'll go we'll go into. Do you have a quartering process that
0: works for you? That that I mean, to me, when we got into it, it seemed pretty natural. I mean, if you if you do it right and where your animals down, if it's in a especially if it's in a spot that's relatively flat. I mean, we moved. Um, your cow was in the brush and we moved it out to a spot that was really easy to work. We were by a Creek. It was nice and flat. We had, we had space all around us. Everyone's not that fortunate, but um, I remember like, if you kind of just, if you just use common sense and gravity, um, the same way you kind of slice, slice the hide off, off the meat in in the body, you also, you can also find some natural seams and quartering. um, I mean, you're going to quarter the animal, where you think you're going to quarter it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, you kind of think of it as you work from the backbone of the animal in. So, on a hind quarter, you're going to kind of find where that backbone is, um, make your incision, and follow that that line all the way down. Then it'll kind of break off, and then you can fill with your knife, and then you go all the way around to the rump, and then back in, and then you open up that quarter, and then. Um then you kind of ex, you know like splitting your legs wide open, and then you just follow the creases right down there and you you'll literally f- will follow the meat and it'll go it'll go nice and smooth, you'll know because you're not cutting against the grain of the meat, you're almost going with the grain a lot of times until you get to that, that part where um it's the back strap and the hind quarter,
0: yeah, you're not and you're quartering you're not cutting meat, you're like you said you're you're kind of like. You're, you're pulling the seams of the different muscle groups away from each other and, and right you're almost just you know it doesn't really get hard I'll tell you where I had the hardest parts where um, that getting that 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 hip joint is a toughie you got to break through but also just you know getting the hoof off off the kind of um, <laughs> yeah. you know that that lower that lower limb of the leg that knee joint for for um, that was they're tough. <laughs> they're tough boned critters they're they're tough boned animals it was hard to manage
1: yeah yeah some some people take bone saws i don't like doing bone saws because it just fragments go everywhere but but yeah that's a tricky one because you're just you're going in at that joint and you're cutting tendons and you're trying to find and it's very tedious right because you're trying to find each little tendon and we're kind of all tuckered out. you are you're always tuckered out when you're sitting there doing it too but um yeah, that part can be tedious for sure. And well, well and that's where gear can help. I
0: th- some folks I've seen they use, um, you know, you, again you're trying to shave ounces and this and that. But they also they make some very small, almost scalpel style blade knives that that are good for certain tasks. If you can go out there and if you have room for two separate knives, you can have your, you know, your 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 general hunting knife. But it seemed to me. Even when I would, even when I got your blacktail home to tinker with on my own, I had a smaller hunting knife um, that was a thinner blade, more of a boning knife, I guess. Um, that that actually did that job much easier. Um, but again, yeah. with practice, you figure it out. And I guess that was my thing too. My first time doing, it, I'm like, God dang, I can't get through this bone. And it wasn't about. It's not about going through the bone. It's about articulating that joint a particular way so you can cut the tendons away. And again, just to remind you you know we're just these biological meat bags i mean tendons connect bone to bone and ligaments connect uh muscle to bone so in that sense if you trim all that away that 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 complicated joint will just kind of pop off itself rather than trying right. to work work against this cuz elk bones are <laughs> elk bones are freaking <laughs> tough i could i was like <laughs> I could, yeah but um
1: but, uh, yeah, you spent a little bit of time on that one. <laughs> yeah. You know, first <laughs> um, but, you know, that's, that's your first time. It's, 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 it's a pain in the butt. Yeah, yeah and then going back to the, the hind quarter and, and that socket you were saying, that's where you kind of want to work your way down is to that hip socket. And then once you get there and you get that socket out, you know, it, it'll pop out. I'll... And then and then you just kind of cut down and you have one guy holding up that hind quarter and or even two guys sometimes and then you just get that meat out of there and then you're able to get your uh get your meat into the um game bags yeah pretty readily and then you follow the back strap comes out pretty nice and smooth you just follow the bone and follow the ribs and, and it's just kind of a, a u-shaped circular motion so you pull the meat back in a 90 degree angle on that um on the um oh gosh dang it the uh what is it? The spine? No, no, no. The damn back strap. Oh, the back strap. Excuse me. <laughs> killing myself here. So you pull the back strap back at about you know a 45-degree angle or so and get it up out of there, and you just kind of U-shape, and it just slowly starts coming up. Oh, and I you just follow you. the ribs, and then you follow that spine, and then it'll come out. And then the front shoulder is kind of the same thing as the hind quarter. You just you follow it right down that spine line, um, make that incision or cut, and then – roll it over and then make the inside cuts, get down there, and then have somebody hold it up. and It'll go pretty smooth. And then the neck is kind of tricky because there's a bunch of different bones there. So the neck, you kind of just – some people like the neck meat for um, stew or whatever, but I just cut it up and then we throw it into the hamburger pile.
0: Yeah, I saw that, and I wanted to actually think about it. I saw um, uh, John Dudley did a cool video where he – I guess he was – at. they had gotten a fresh elk down and they pulled – they pulled the whole neck off and did like these slow roasted neck roasts and did actually make barbecue with it, which was pretty fired up. I was like, but it did look a lot like stew meat. That looked interesting to me. It'd be nice to get some of that neck meat off, but he, it's almost like they pulled it off on the, 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 the like the whole neck. Like it was pretty cool. Um, but how, the other thing is, uh, you, you had a cool technique for, we, we went gutless cause we were kind of in a time crunch, um and again we were we were on like meat preservation mode as much as anything and trying to get this meat in bags as quick as possible um but when we went gutless you had a cool we got the um we got the tenderloins out without having to go through the inside
1: right you kind of just go from the upper inside and and push the guts off to a side and then you just make your slow incisions on that um tenderloin and you can fill it with your hand when you get in there. You can basically wrap your hand around the tenderloin and then you can get your knife in there and then cut the two ends and then it pops right out. So, let me ask you this, with that said, you know, you're getting so
0: close to the to the uh to the soft parts, to the, to the guts of this critter. Um, have you ever had any fouls happen where you kind of you, you you puncture that stomach in the wrong way
1: And <laughs> many times? I yeah.
0: ha- I haven't, fortunately, but it, you know, you know. We'll
1: get you to do it this year just so you can experience how foul that is. No, I'm good. It, it's I'm funny good. because when you do do that, yeah. it's like everybody knows and every <laughs> all the heads go back and everybody goes, "Oh." <laughs> it's it always so funny. Cuz it's their digestive tract, right? I mean, Oh yeah. It is what it is. I mean, we all And if you're not used to the smell, I mean, which we aren't, most of the year, right? Because we don't do it like every day, but it it can kind of it'll throw you off a little bit, and then you get used to it. But that first initial, um, it can ruin and sometimes day. you know you you shoot them and you you go through the gut. Say there are strong quartering away shots, so when you go in there and start doing your thing, you're just you just smell it the whole time. Mm. No good.
0: Now you guys haven't done this in the past. Now I know with with the blacktail, we kind of. Uh, we, we gutted it right there. Um, we, we actually made our initial incision around its anus, and then we went up and pulled everything out uh, with the esophagus and just kind of yanked everything out. Um, we didn't do that with the elk. Is, is that a matter of it's just a bigger animal or it's more of a time crunch? Because um, we, we we gutted the, the blacktail different than we did the elk. Is there a particular, is it a size thing, or was there another reason that, that, that we went a different route?
1: You know I think more or less Joe on that one I got a little too excited and I just went back to what I default my old default was to gut it because I've only been doing the gutless method for about three years yeah so I think I just got overly excited and um we just gutted it out and yeah it's not as I mean what it took five minutes really to gut that an elk it is does take a little bit of time to because there's a lot more to it. It's a little easier because you can get up in there a little better. But. Well, that's what I was going to say.
0: I liked it with the blacktail because even in particular, even like, yeah, I think there's benefit to the rib meat, but I don't know if I want to pack out uh, elk ribs. That's going to be pretty heavy. But what I did like about that deer we did is there was a cool technique for getting the rib meat off. Rather than cutting in between everything, we were kind of slicing it in a way where we could pull it all off and in and, and, big kind of rib meat sections and uh, yeah right I, you just I like follow that a lot
1: yeah and it's it, it's a it's a great method and, and basically what you do is you just follow the ribs so you start with the first rib and then you cut cut around and you chase your knife against the rib and then once you get down in between the two ribs you just pull back and then you just slowly keep making your way and it'll just literally fold off yeah. And then you got this big slab of meat. Rather than having all these little tiny strips and it's kind of a pain in the butt, you get less meat.
0: Yeah, that that method was awesome. And then too, I was pumped up about that because then we could actually pull pull all the guts out and get the liver and the heart, which were which were which were awesome. I mean, my my little girls right now when I when I pulled out the um the deer shoulder and told them I was using deer meat um to make the uh to make the appetizers for the family party. My little girl Charlie, she goes. Well, is the liver in there? I want the liver. That liver was good. <laughs> and, uh, they, That's awesome. They they loved it on that liver on that blacktail was good. Um, uh, uh, I can imagine that the the liver and the heart on the elk will be just as good. That'll be my uh, if we get one down. That'll be my again. Just like I cooked the the turkey heart, my contribution will uh, will fry up that will fry up that liver and heart. It'd be good to do. Sounds good, man. And, um, we might have six of them this year. I think that would be excellent. Let's do yes. that, sir. Um, but no, there's ton, again um, tons of benefits to this wild game um, in particular. Um, you know, you know where it comes from. You know, what it was doing. There's lots of reasons it's healthier for you. Um, you know, the flavor is uh, the flavor second to none. You know. Um, but it's it's what you need to do i mean and, and in particular for folks you know my wife is always like you know boneless skinless chicken breast you know get that you know she wants this lean meat but that's the other thing about this wild game i mean once you start hammering into this animal it's lean it's 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 lean and delicious so um with that there's just higher protein um you know and less issues with it but you gotta know how to take care of it you know what i mean so Hopefully, hopefully, Jeremy, um, we we did a little bit of this for them. So if we, uh,
1: yeah, it's hard to explain, right? Because um, when you're not out there, I have a harder time explaining how I do things, and that like skinning an animal and gutting one is it's it's pretty hard to explain. So
0: yeah, and I mean, there's there's things you and you know it too. I mean,
1: look, YouTube's great. You
0: know, I mean, for lots of things and to even just go off course with a little bit, even something like, you know, you can go on a YouTube rabbit hole and see anything, whether it's butchering an animal or learning how to pass someone's guard in jujitsu or, or, or going back to our initial conversation running form. But until you go out and practice it and screw it up, you're not going to get better at it and develop your own way to do it. So I think, right. I think rather than tell people how to do it, it's like, Hey man, This is something we've tried. This is how we've done it, and here's a little thing to get you started. You need to go out and figure it out because, you know, we are talking about perfect scenarios, but what if you do if you find your elk, you know, pinned between two trees on, like, a 45-degree, you know, mountain face? And everything's just like, well, what the hell? You know what I mean? You better have some some rope. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so it's all different, but hopefully it's just a matter of, you know, talking about it in a way – that gets people comfortable enough to do it because, um, you know, you don't want to be the guy who's staring at your dead animal going, okay, now what? And then all of a sudden you sit there
1: thinking about it so much that it's spoiled. Yeah, exactly. And it it can spoil quick. I mean, it'll spoil within, it can spoil within 14 to you know, 14 hours. And what I would suggest to people is, you know, go and watch a video and then listen to this podcast on your way up to hunting and um, that way you kind of got a visual, and then you got a reminder on your way up to camp on how to do it, or even at camp in the evening, listen to the podcast. Are there any tough things that you've seen that have surprised
0: you when you've gotten into an animal? I mean, I, there was a there's a Brian Call video that I got into a few months ago where he had got, I guess, a moose that had had a pretty nasty puncture, and when they started gutting this thing, the, the, that hindquarter had a bit of I mean, for lack of a better word, it was like having a big whitehead pimple on you. But then, when they had kind of busted into that, it just oozed pus like gallons of this, and then you see it on video, and it's pretty incredible to watch. Have you ever, <laughs> have you ever come across any like weird scarring, or you know, found someone else's broadhead from a previous year? Into any any story in that regard, um, to to when you do open up the animal, that that kind of was like, oh, that that was interesting.
1: You know, I have never personally, um, witnessed it. The only thing is like, uh, one of the bears I got one time, he had scars all over his face and he just looked like he was probably a scrapper and he had, his ears were cut up and nice. all that. That's about the extent of it. But I did, I, you know, I talked to my butcher quite a bit and he says, yeah, these people will come in. I've seen five broadheads in <laughs> an elk one time. And, um he said um bullet wounds he'll a a lodged bullet inside of a bone Mm. and you know and that was killed with an arrow and i mean yeah he it's amazing how tough these animals are and if you don't hit them in the vitals there's a a high chance that they will survive through the um, next season yeah and have it have it tough go about with it i think they yeah were, you hear stories like you know it's a three
0: three like a deer this and that and you know a lot of or you know it's got a broken leg i mean hell i mean i know when when we had your cow um you, you hit her good but you know she we were tracking her and ended up finding out that she had a, a broken back leg or her front leg was broken but she still ended up moving a, a pretty yeah, good distance she, yeah so
1: yeah the uh i hit a tree branch and it shattered her and went into her hip bone and shattered her hip bone so um pretty wild but again
0: good broadhead heavy arrow she went two and a half miles like that yeah i mean they're they're tough they're 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 wild they're wild critters and uh, with that um you should know a little bit about how you're going to pack it out a little bit of how you're going to break it down and be proficient enough to get it down so um but uh so if we're if we're reviewing this thing up if we do our um our aar or after action review um in terms of to me picking it up it's just like you know kill it efficiently um get it off the bone and away from the guts quick and uh get it in the air you know i mean as quick as you can however that happens um and then you know quarter it out but um in terms of the quartering technique, Jeremy's, if we review this thing, the finer points for our folks, um, as they, as they take this episode
1: away. Yeah. Number one, um, you know, just follow the spine that that's going to, you know, be the best starting point for you to start doing your incisions or your cuts and, um, just kind of work around the meat. Uh, it, it'll, it'll, it'll show you where to go really. I mean, it, it sounds weird, but those elk are designed and built to move around a specific way and those are your incisions and cuts will be able to follow those particular ways so um and number three would probably be um don't waste any meat get it all off of the animal even if you're under time just you know you owe it to the animal to get every piece of meat off of them and get it into your bag so I like and that a little thought. here, a little there on an elk, and then in, turn into about ten to fifteen pounds. So, I mean, you're thinking, oh, I'm not going to get that rib meat, but then once you start pulling off a slab, you'll notice you got about three pounds, four pounds of meat. You're like, oh my gosh! We well, yeah, so,
0: and we even did that with with the blacktail you got, and yeah, all of a sudden. All of a sudden you, you you work hard to get the little pinches off, and now all of a sudden you got a couple count, pounds of breakfast sauces if you know what you're doing you know what I mean exactly. so um so get after it, don't waste it um uh do it right and 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 enjoy it man it's a it's a great product um and it's um it's full of a ton of nutrition um i guess um you know there's there's just tons of benefit to it, so get into it, folks, enjoy it. But uh, get it done right. Hopefully, we've done a little bit of that to get you going. If you enjoyed the episode, guys, again, like we said at the top, it'd be awesome if you reviewed it. Um, get into the website, all that good stuff. We talked a little bit about some training. If you are if you are interested in doing a little something, you have a couple weeks left. Maybe, maybe you're only going to get a late season hunting. We have our base camp program on our website. There's some some ideas, tips, and tricks to help you get mobilized and stronger and build some aerobic capacities. And um, no nah, man, we're we're happy to help you out. So uh, please let us know if we're hitting the mark and helping you uh, train, hunt, and live the best life possible. Jeremy Day, um, it's as always great to talk to you. And until the next one, God bless America. Get her done, folks. Fun times is always talking with Jeremy, especially when it's a great topic like breaking down your your meat. Um, which hopefully you guys all get to do here coming up on this season. Um, But while you're thinking about that, you can also think about our show partners, our show supporters. Check out CineVet.org. They need your help. Soldiers need your help. And... It's a great mission, so check them out. Also, guys, PR Lifting, quality fitness gear in the Pacific Northwest. Check those guys out. You should have a home gym. I'm telling you right now, you should start that home gym with some gear from PR Lifting. And also, guys, our website, please, uh, backcountryandbarbells.com. You can find all that stuff and more, including our Base Camp programs, review the site, all that good stuff. And review the show. Send it about, all that. Appreciate you guys. Until the next one, train, hunt, and live the
1: best life possible.